0: Good evening. (laughs) Good. Now you're here. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you joining with us there uh, on our social media platforms, whether you're there on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, be sure to give us the hearts, the likes, the thumbs-ups, the retweets, all those things. Uh, that'll just help to get the word out there that we're live, uh, and just encourage you to take the time to do that. Uh, welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. If you need that number, please call the church office or send us an email, and we'll be glad to give that number to you. One of the reasons, just as a reminder, why we don't give that out on, on our social media platforms is we want end up getting telemarketers who call and they we have to pay for those minutes uh, that they listen to even if it's just a couple of minutes Uh, and those begin to add up if you get phone calls on yours we get multiple phone calls hundreds of phone calls on our phone live streaming uh, when we've opened that up previously so we just give it out to those who ask for it so that's why we always say that every Sunday but welcome to those who are joining with us on our phone live streaming I know some of you are listening on that platform tonight want to encourage you, if you can, uh, if you have access to your website there, to go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you'll find uh, today's worship bulletin. So be sure to get that downloaded. If you're in person, be sure to grab one of those. It has all the upcoming events that are coming up in December. I think all of them are in there. We're going to be beginning next Sunday, emphasizing our uh, prayer for international missions uh, with our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So we want to encourage you to be, uh, be... get that in your mindset to be praying for. Uh, Also under that same info tab, you can download the worship bulletins for children. Uh, There may be some of those in the windowsill over here that are left also, so be sure to pick up one of those. And then don't forget while you're there on the info tab to download this week's prayer list. Actually, it's a couple of weeks ago because we didn't have prayer uh, meeting on this past Wednesday night because of Thanksgiving. Uh, We will be updating that this coming Wednesday, so send us any prayer requests you may have so we can get that on the prayer list. If any of you here need to do that also, uh, just call the church office and let Amy know, and we'll be sure to get those on the prayer list. And then don't forget, while you're there on the church website, go to the far right hand side, click the give online tabs. You can do your online giving with a regular offering there. Uh, You can do the golden offering for Tennessee missions still. And then next week will also be the international missions for Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, is on there too for you to begin doing that. We'll have envelopes in your bulletins or in your pews. Uh, next week, and also our prayer guides uh, for the week, as we'll, as well as we'll be sharing some videos uh, with you uh, throughout that week of some of the prayer requests to be praying for. So, uh, welcome tonight, Brother Mike. You'll come and lead us.
1: Good evening. Take your hymnals and turn to 563 Christ Receive the Sinful Men. We're going to sing all four verses 563. Miss Pat. Jesus will receive sound this word of grace to all who the head. sinful man come and he will give you rest trust him for his word is plain he will take the sinful sinfullest christ receive the sinful man save it all and all again christ receive the sinful man is clear and plain, Christ received a sinful man, now my heart condemns me not, pure before the law I stand, he who cleansed me from all spots, satisfied its last demand, sing it, sinful man, make the message clear and plain, Christ receive a sinful man, Christ receive a sinful man, even me with all my sin, birds from every spot and stain, heaven will help I enter in. Sing it o'er and o'er again, Christ receive a sinful man. Make the message clear and plain, Christ receive a sinful man.
0: Good evening. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Luke's Gospel in Chapter 15, as we looked at Chapter 14 last week, and we went back to cover the parts of Chapter 13 that we covered this morning. We want to begin in Chapter 15, and this section of entitled Parables of God's Love. And in fact, you probably, as you're going to see here in a minute, you probably could call this a parable of God's love, uh, because you'll see that when we get into the text here, uh, all three of these parables, these three individual stories, are really part of one story uh, that all share the same message of God's love for us. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word, and we're just going to begin with verse 1 and verse 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receiveth, receives sinners and eats with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, I pray that from the example of Jesus and what he lays out before us in these parables, Father, I pray that you will speak your truth, into our hearts, Lord, that we will see any sin that we may have in our lives, Lord, that we will uh, seek to be in, uh, in, in accordance with your word and your will and your way, uh, seeking, Lord, to be all that you would have us to be, sharing all you would have us to share and doing all you would have us to do. So Lord, lead us, guide us through this passage. Teach us some things, even as believers, uh, that we need to be focused on, that we need to be applying to our lives, and help us to be the Christians and the example of Christ uh, that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. What is it that it takes to make heaven joyous and rejoicing, celebrating, to make heaven happy? It's one sinner that comes to the Lord Jesus. You ever thought about how happy heaven uh, could, how happy you could make heaven? I mean, be honest, most of the time we want uh, heaven to make us happy. Because probably the number one prayer prayed to God so often by us uh, since even the beginning of time is, Bless me, Lord. Uh, Bless my family, bless my children, bless my business, bless my marriage. Uh, Basically, we're all saying the same thing Lord, make me happy. Uh, Make sure everything goes smooth uh, in my life. These stories that we're going to see as we begin here with this story about the lost sheep would have touched the hearts of any who would have been gathered in the presence of Jesus as he's sharing uh, these parables. It would have touched even the men and the boys in the crowd because they were the ones who were shepherds out in the field. So when he tells this story, he's speaking directly uh, to them, to the religious leaders there, uh, as well as to the others. And so uh, it would have also touched the women and the girls as they would hear the story that he shares about the the coin uh, that was lost from the wedding and the importance of that wedding necklace. Uh, and, And so Jesus was seeking, To reach the heart of every person. So the first thing I want us to see tonight is the lost sheep uh, in this parable that Jesus begins to share with us. And so uh, one of the first things we need to realize in looking at the lost sheep here is to realize that people without Christ are lost. That's the honest truth of what the scriptures uh, tell us. That's not my opinion. That's not your opinion. That's what God's word says. And so to understand this parable, you have to understand the background. So begin back again, if you will, in verse 1 and then verse 2 and going into verse 3. So now the tax collectors and sinners, get that picture, they're all drawing near to him. And now the religious crowd, the Pharisees and the scribes, they begin to grumble and they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So think about that for just a moment, because it was the Pharisees and the scribes who would stand on the street corners and say, well, at least I'm not like that sinner over there. They didn't want those sinners around. And so Jesus did want them around, Jesus loved them, Uh, Jesus was a friend uh, of sinners. And so he begins to receive them and they say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And then verse 3 says, So he told them this parable. So who's he telling this parable to? He's telling it to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Now, as you know, they were the self-righteous hypocrites uh, who in their hearts there was no kindness. I mean, uh, they're the ones who Jesus had to share the story about the Good Samaritan. Uh, because they wanted to avoid those uh, who were needy uh, who their neighbor was they wanted to narrow who the neighbor uh, was and so uh, they they didn't have any kindness in their hearts their hearts were as cold as ice and and as hard as steel Uh, one statement here tells you though all you need to know about jesus we're told here that sinners loved him and the pharisees hated him Uh, incidentally the sinners They didn't just love Jesus. They didn't love Jesus because he catered to them, nor because he compromised with them, but because he cared for them and that's even true for our world today. Uh, Notice they were criticizing Jesus because sinners were hanging around him and he hung around the sinners. So in response to their criticism, Jesus tells the parable found in this chapter. Now, as I said earlier, uh, we've often thought of this uh, parable, this passage here uh, as actually three parables in this chapter, Uh, but the verse tells us he told them this parable. And never again does he say, and he told him another parable, and he told him another parable. He just tells them a parable, and it goes into three chapters of the parable, uh, if you will. And so uh, each one of the parts here tells us something that was lost. He tells us about a lost sheep. He tells us about a lost coin or lost silver, and he tells us about a lost son. Uh, He compares a lost person to sheep. Now, I can assure you that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment at all. Now we think of that, oh, look at that pretty little lamb, how cute he is. And we think, oh, he's talking about a cute little lamb that he's comparing us to, that he's comparing a lost person to. No, this wasn't a compliment. You see, the number one character of sheep is this they're dumb. And that's what he was saying about a lost person they're dumb. They're dumb. Uh, You know, you might see a trained elephant, you might see a trained dog, you might see uh, a, a trained rat, but you'll never see a trained sheep because sheep can't be trained to do anything. So what's the point? The point is, is that without God, a lost person is dumb. Now, we don't mean dumb intellectually. We mean spiritually dumb. You know, a person uh, may have more degrees than a a thermometer, and and even though the most brilliant intellect on earth is is stunningly ignorant if he doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And, and, And so notice what's sad about lost sheep is this. When they get lost, they don't even know it. They don't even know they're lost. I mean think about it, do you think understand why a sheep that wanders away from the flock never finds its way back to the flock? Because one of the reasons is is because he's too dumb to find his way back, and then secondly he doesn't even know that he's lost, that he strayed away. But notice the indictment here as we're going to get into these verses, you're going to find out here that this sheep was lost because of foolishness, you know sheep have a tendency uh, to go astray. Uh, they, they tend to get lost, and that's why we need a shepherd. And, and so the scribes and the Pharisees, they had no problem seeing the publicans and the sinners as lost sheep. Now, I've said this before, maybe you remember this, but I, I messed up that part of a message one time uh, when I said that uh, about the publicans and the sinners, I said the republicans and the sinners. <laughs> So I'm happy to admit when I mess up sometimes. <laughs> but, but here it is, these publicans and these sinners, he sees them as lost sheep. But they wouldn't apply that image to themselves. Uh, they were filled with pride. I'm not a sheep. I'm not dumb. I'm not ignorant. I know where I'm at. I know where I'm going. I, I'm here, here in, in the synagogue. And, and, and yet the prophet made it clear that all of us have sinned and gone astray, and that even includes religious people. The shepherd was responsible though for each sheep. Think about that, if one sheep was missing, the shepherd had to pay for it unless he could prove that it was killed by a predator. That explains why he would leave the flock with the other shepherds and go and search for that missing sheep and then rejoice when he found it. I mean, because think about it. Uh, Not to find the lost sheep meant money out of his own pocket, plus it meant being disgraced by by being known as a careless shepherd. Oh yeah, that's the guy who loses sheep all the time. And and so by leaving the 99 sheep that we're going to see, this shepherd is not saying that they were unimportant to him. They were safe, but the lost sheep was in danger. So the fact that the shepherd would go after them, after one sheep, is proof that each individual sheep was dear to him. So Jesus is not suggesting here that the scribes and the Pharisees were not in in need of salvation, for they certainly were. And so let's read uh, the rest of these verses here with this parable in verse uh, verse 4 and then into verse 5. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So understand here when you read this parable, we have to be careful not to make every part of this parable mean something. Otherwise, you could could distort and turn, uh, turn it into an allegory and even distort the message. There's an inexplicable joy, though, that's expressed in these verses when a lost sinner comes to the Savior. So remember also that people without Christ, not only are they lost, they are also loved. They're loved. And so uh, notice here the parable goes on to teach us something else, not only about the sinner, but also about the Savior. It teaches us that God is a God who sees the sinner, who seeks the sinner, and who saves the sinner. So verse 4 says, What man of you being having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now on the surface, when we read that, we're thinking you're having a party for finding one little old sheep you got 99 back over there in the pasture and you just went and found this one what's the big deal about this one now notice here we're going to find out what the big deal is about that one but notice here first of all that the shepherd here that jesus is talking about in this passage is none other than the lord jesus christ himself Uh, that that goes after. Now he's using also an illustration here to say that you the Pharisees and the scribes, you're like the shepherd who lost the sheep. Uh, You've been uh, negligent in what you should have been doing. A good shepherd goes out and finds the sheep that was lost. You didn't even do that. And and so uh, notice here, why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? Well, contrary to what we might think, it wasn't primarily to preach or to teach or even to perform miracles. Jesus left the the golden streets of glory and walked the dirty uh, alleys of a sinful world. Uh, Why did he lay down that crown uh, and pick up a crown of thorns? Why did he leave uh, the the halls of of heaven uh, for the nails of Calvary? He told us why in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we would be tempted, as we said, to say, what's the big deal? about one sheep. After all, to lose one out of 100, that's not too bad. I mean, think about it. Any businessman would be thrilled if he had a 99% profit margin in his business. You know, even most construction workers uh, figure far more than 1% loss into whatever project that they're working on. So the question is valid. Why would the shepherd leave 99 sheep to go after one measly little old sheep? Here's the reason. It wasn't because the sheep was valuable because the sheep by itself was a very little value. No, there's only one explanation why the shepherd would leave the 99 and go after the one, and it's because of the love of the shepherd. You see, the reason why Jesus came to this earth to die for us is because of his love for us. So I want you to learn this today and never forget this. Jesus doesn't love us. Because we're valuable, we're valuable because Jesus loves us. Let me say that again so you get that, because there's two different things we're saying there. Jesus doesn't love us because we're valuable, because of anything in and of myself. I've done nothing in and of myself to earn the salvation, the gift of grace that he's offered to us, uh, the love that he shows to me. He doesn't love me because of anything I've done, because I'm valuable. I'm valuable because he loves me. And you're valuable because he loves you. And that's the message he's telling us here about the lost sheep. The second part of this story in this parable here, because he doesn't tell us there's another parable, uh, he he goes on into the next section here to talk about a lost coin. So everything he's talking about is something that's lost. And you go to verse 8 and verse 9. We'll come back to verse 7 in a little bit. Verse 8 says, Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Now, when's the last time you did that around the house? (laughs) You went searching for the coin that you lost. To us, a coin doesn't seem that valuable, but in this situation, it was. Uh, the The sheep was lost because of its foolishness, but the coin was lost because of the carelessness of another. You know, it's sobering. It's a sobering thought here that our carelessness at home would result in being in a soul being lost. Because understand the picture here: when a Jewish girl married she began to wear a headband of ten silver coins to signify that she's now a wife. It was the Jewish version of our modern-day wedding ring, if you will. And it would be considered a travesty, if you would, for her to lose one of those coins. Now, Palestinian houses were dark. So they had to light a lamp and, and search until they found a lost coin. You know, in our houses today, we've got all kind of windows that let the the light in, but they didn't have that. They were made of clay uh, and brick that they could make out of out of various substances that, to make their houses with. And so their houses would be dark. They'd have to make it, take an oil lamp and and light it, and then set it on a lampstand or walk around with it around the room to try to find every nook and cranny and corner to be able to see. I mean, you know how hard it is looking under your couch, under the sofa, under tables and chairs. Uh, It gets dark under those places. Well, the whole house was that way. And and so she was uh, looking around this house, she's searching for this lost coin until she finds it. And you could just imagine her joy at finding this coin because it signified something very important. It was valuable in in that respect. So these two parables help us understand something of what it meant uh, to be lost. Uh, To begin with, it means being out of place. Think about this, sheep being without the flock, coins uh, belong on the chain and lost sinners belong in fellowship with God. Uh, But to be lost also means being out of service. A lost sheep has no value uh, to the shepherd, a lost coin has no value to the owner, and a lost sinner cannot experience the enriching fulfillment that God has for them in Jesus Christ. But to turn this around, to be found... To be saved means that you're back in place, you're back where you belong, you're reconciled to God, back in service for the Lord. Life has a purpose, and you're out of the danger. So no wonder the shepherd rejoiced, and no wonder this woman rejoices, and they both invite their friends to join with them in the celebration. Now it's easy for us to read these two parables here, these two parts of the story and take their message for granted. But the people who first heard them must have been shocked because Jesus was saying that God actually searches for lost sinners. No wonder the scribes and the Pharisees were offended because there was no place in their legalistic theology for a God like that. They had forgotten that God had sought Adam and Eve when they had sinned. It was God who came looking for Adam and Eve. It wasn't Adam and Eve who came to God. It was God who searched for them. Uh, They had sinned and they had hidden from God. And in spite of their supposed knowledge of Scripture, these scribes and these Pharisees forgot that God was like a father who pitied his wayward children. There are few joys that match the joy of finding the lost and bringing them to the Savior. John Wesley said this. He said, the church has nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And then he goes into a third story that we read about in verse 11 through verse 32. We'll come back to verse 10 when we come back to verse seven. So notice verse 11, he goes on with this story, the parable of the prodigal son, one of the greatest stories, one of the most beloved stories uh, that's been told over and over uh, throughout the ages, even to people who are not believers. Uh, many know who this story uh, of the prodigal son. And so it teaches us that God's love reaches out to the most prodigal of people and he runs to embrace uh, any person who repents and returns home, no matter how terrible the sin and no matter how much the failure Uh, of the prodigal. So notice in this story here, we see sin's path. Notice what the, the prodigal here says. He says, give me, give me. Notice verse 11 through verse 13. He said, so Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living." So note here, the son was the child of a father by birth. He belonged to the estate, the world of the father, uh, by natural birth. Uh, But it's clear from what follows that the son didn't belong to the father in heart and mind and spirit. And notice that the prodigal wanted, uh, he wanted two things give me my inheritance. He wanted his money, he wanted the things, the possessions uh, of the estate, his part of the inheritance. Uh, he wanted to get everything so he could enjoy it now. So not only did he say, was he saying here, give me my inheritance, he's also saying here, give me my independence. I want to go and do what I want to do, the way I want to do, how I want to do, when I want to do. How often have we said that? And yet we all often get ourselves in trouble when we do what we want to do. This is what the prodigal really was after, the right to his own life. He was tied down, he thought, to the to the father's property and, and was held responsible for the care of the property. And he just wanted to be cut loose from it. He wanted to be away from his father and to be relieved of the responsibility of the property. He wanted to live his own life and do his own thing. And so... Uh, <clears throat> That's why I hear this younger one says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Uh, not many days later, uh, he gathers all he has, he goes on this journey into a far country, and he squanders it with reckless living. See, notice here uh, that the prodigal rejected and turned from the father and his way of life because he felt that the father would demand and require too much work, limit his freedom, keep an eye and a hand upon him. But notice a crucial point here. The father gave the son his freedom, And his possessions basically the father says okay son he didn't argue with him we don't read where he demands no I'm not giving it to you you're gonna stay here and you're gonna work out and live here until I die and then you'll get your inheritance he says okay I'll give you what you keep asking for he gave him the those all those things of, of life and the goods there he had to let him go and live as he wished and when he did the prodigal wasted his life in riotous right living. You know sometimes we come to that place in our life where we're saying, "God, I want this. God, I want that. I want it now." Reminds me of that Andy Griffith episode where where Opie's uh, is pitching a fit, a tantrum, uh, trying to get his way. That's so often what we do. We're trying to get our way from God. And God, I want. I, give it to me now. This is what I want. And God's trying to say to us, "No, you don't need it. There's a reason maybe he doesn't explain to the reason to you." But know this, if he hasn't given it to you, there's a reason why he hasn't. Maybe you don't need it or maybe it would cause harm to you or or bring something even worse into your life. But here's this father who says to his son, here you go, son, I love you. And I'm giving you what would rightfully be yours if I was to pass away. And he lets him go and live the way he wants. Well, he does. He goes and he lives and he spends it all. Uh, he, he leaves his father, he rebels, he revolts, he journeys as far away as he thinks he can get from his father. Living this worldly, fleshly life. Living for the pleasures of this life. Oh, he had friends until all the money was gone. He, he partied and he lived it up until everything had been wasted. Understand this. Sin Always takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. Notice sin's cost. He, he met the day when he suffered and was in want. Notice verse 14. And when he had spent everything. Now think about that. This is an inheritance. This is a great sum of money. This would be like winning, winning the Powerball lottery that someone won out in California a few weeks ago. It'd be like winning that kind of lottery. He, he's won it all. He's got it all. And now he has spent everything. Not a dime left to his name. And a severe famine arose in the country. So you've seen those kind of movies and those kind of stories. Uh, You think things are going bad now, things keep getting worse, and and if it weren't for good luck, I'd have no bad luck at all. Uh, You know, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no good luck at all. So notice here, uh, he spends everything, this severe famine arises in the country, and now he begins to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So notice there, he's out in the field, he's feeding pigs. He's a hired servant now. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Now you got to be pretty low if you're wanting to eat a bunch of slop. Because that's essentially what pigs eat. They're nasty they waller around in the mud, they're not eating clean food. So when he talks about pods here, he's talking about nasty food uh, that, that's been probably milled in the in the mud there, been rolled around and everything. And, and he's longing if I could just eat some of this food that the pigs are eating. And no one gave him anything. He doesn't have anything. He's in need. He's suffering he's destitute, he spent it all, He squandered, he's wasted it, he's misused it, the money, the property, his talents, his purpose, his opportunities. I mean, think about it. He probably had a bright future out ahead of him there with his father at his father's household, and he's wasted all of that. He misused all of that in the lust of the flesh. And then he suffered that natural disaster when famine struck. Uh, That refers to all the severe trials and disasters in life because of the very nature of this world. You know, it may be storms, it may be sickness, it may be uh, an accident, it may be death, but whatever it is, it is some calamity, some disaster that happens and it causes great loss. So again, this prodigal son is all alone without God's presence and he has to face this disaster without God's care and God's help. He suffers enslavement. He suffers humiliation. He suffers hungry. Understand this, that the world's garbage will always leave a person empty and hungry. And that's what he had done. The world and its pleasures and its wealth and its styles will will please the body but leave the soul empty. You see, the world cannot satisfy you. It cannot provide for you. It cannot supply your needs. The world will always leave you dissatisfied. The world will always leave you unfulfilled and empty. Notice he not only suffered there, he suffered the loss of his friends, the so-called friends who surrounded him when he had plenty, but now it was gone. He's there in the pig pen wanting to eat of the pods, of the husks there that the pigs are eating. And nobody will even give him that. Notice the next verses in verse 17 down to verse 32. So he's in the worst of the worst of the worst. And verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Understand this, sin either leads us to utter destruction or it leads us to broken repentance." Notice the words came to himself. That means he came to the place of repentance. He thought long and he thought hard about his father and about all the provision that he had back there. And he remembered how his father had been able to provide for everything he ever needed. He remembered the sense of belonging, of being a part of the family there, of fellowshipping together. He probably remembered eating there around the table with the rest of the family, celebrating when there were celebrations together. And now all of that's gone. He remembers the great provision of love and joy and peace and purpose and meaning and significance. And he realizes just how empty he really was and that he was doomed to perish. And he thought, he thought about humbling himself, humbling himself that would involve two significant steps. One, repenting. The prodigal would have to arise, that is, to turn away from the far country to leave that far country and to go back to the Father. You see, understand this, repentance is simply a changed life, a changed life that turns from sin to righteousness, from self towards God, from this world towards heaven, from the temporal to the eternal. And then there's not only repenting, there's confessing. Because this prodigal would have to confess his sin, his unworthiness to be called the father's son. In the, in the spiritual application here, he's unworthy to be called God's son, he's saying. He arose, though, and he returns to his father. Notice verse 20 and verse 21. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that's what he said he should say, and that's what he did say. Sometimes we come to the place where we think and we fill in our hearts, this is what I need to do, I need to repent, but then we never follow through. This man followed through. The prodigal, he returns to the father and he confesses his sin to them. This is one of the greatest moments for the prodigal, the most momentous event in the life of any sinner. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then notice what happened when he got back to the father. The father, a long way off, sees him coming, which tells us the father had been looking. The father had been looking ever since his son left, knowing and hoping and praying one day he's going to finally come back to me. I want to tell you this evening, you may have some family members who they're far out there from God, don't ever give up on them because God hadn't given up on them. He's looking for them, and you need to keep looking for them. You need to keep praying for them. I'm sure that's what the father had been doing all those days while his son was out there living in the world and living the ways of the world because he was there already looking when he sees the son coming down the road. And he doesn't wait for the son to get get to him. You know, some of us would say, well, he's got to come and apologize to me first. That's the only way we're going to make this thing right. He's got to apologize first then I'll accept him and then I'll apologize for anything. No, the father runs to him and the father throws his arms around him. What a beautiful picture of love. I mean, get the stories he's told us here. A lost sheep that a shepherd goes out to find, a lost coin that's of great significance representing uh, this woman who's engaged to be married and if she doesn't find it, It's it's going to be detrimental to her, and it's going to be an embarrassment to, to the man that she's engaged to. And now a son who's left his father, who's coming back down the road, and he runs to them, and he's accepted when he returns to the father. Notice verse 22, down through verse 32. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. We're going to come back to that verse again also. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. That's the picture of the Pharisees and the scribes. They don't want anything to do with the sinner. They don't want anything to do with the prodigal son. And his father came out and he entreated him. He pleaded with the older son come on. He's been gone. He could have died out there and we wouldn't have known it. And now he's come back. He's back. We need to be celebrating. And, and and so he, he, he speaks to this, to this son and he entreats him. He begs him. He pleads with him to understand. And verse 29, the older son answers his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me, not even a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, he said to the older son here, son, you are always with me, And all that is mine is yours. He says this in verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So get the picture here of all this happened. This father restores this younger son. The robe restores him to the position of sonship and honor. It symbolized being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The ring that he placed on his finger uh, was, was uh, restored him to the position of authority. The ring symbolized the position of authority there. And so now, the son now uh, was to represent the father and his kingdom. Uh, he gets new shoes for him. The shoes immediately restored and elevated him above servanthood. He, remember what he said? He said, if I can just come back and be one of your hired servants, I've sinned against you. Just make me one of your hired servants. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. But the father gives him shoes and elevates him above servanthood, which means he becomes a free man. This son was now had shoes to carry the gospel of peace wherever he went. Just think about what else happened to this young man and the story he would tell to his friends and to the generations of children that he would have and to the family and to the people of how his father restored him. And then the celebration happens. And that celebration pictures reconciliation. It pictures full acceptance. It pictures great joy. He was dead and he's alive again. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He was lost, and he was found. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep, all of us have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that leads us to our final point I want us to see, is that we need to resolve to bring people without Christ to the Lord. That was the whole point of what Jesus was telling in these three chapters, if you will, of this parable. Because notice each time something was lost, was found, a holy celebration broke loose. Go back to verse 7. Verse 7 says this. Just so I tell you, This is talking about the sheep just like the the shepherd who found his sheep. He says, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost in verse 6. Verse 7, he says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Go down to verse 10. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Go down to verse 24. In verse 24 in the parable of the prodigal son, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Understand, there is celebration in heaven when just one lost sinner is found. Notice, by the way, that it doesn't say that the angels rejoice. It says in verse 10 there, it says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one who repents. Who is experiencing the joy there and showing the joy? It is God the Father. Because remember, it was the father who ran out to grab his lost son who had returned. It's the father who celebrates with a party there for his returned son who once was dead and is now alive. It's God who does the rejoicing. That's what verse 24 is telling us. Going down to verse 32, and again it tells us it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Can I tell you? how you can always know that a church is right with God. You can always know that a church is right with God when that church is excited about the things that God is excited about. God's not excited about our our new car, our new house, how things are going in your life in that respect. I mean, he's glad that things are going well for you, but the thing that most excites God is when a sinner trusts in Jesus as our lord and savior what a picture here that's what gets god excited if we want to ring the joy bells of heaven if we want to move the heart of god if we want to light the fires of revival if we want to put a smile on the face of jesus we need to be about the business of rescuing the lost sheep of restoring the lost silver and 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 receiving the lost son so understand jesus told this parable to tell us this, he wants us to go out. He wants us to go out and to see the sinner and to seek the sinner and to share with the sinner how they can be saved, how they can know Jesus. Jesus wants us to go out and look for people who aren't here. I mean, aren't you glad that you can invite anybody you want to come to church? You can invite them, and if they really want to come, and if they know Christ is Lord and Savior, they can join this church. Did you know that the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of non-members? I believe Jesus was trying to teach us in this parable that everybody ought to always be trying to reach somebody. That's why we ought to begin to build relationships with our neighbors, with our business associates, with the, with the Little League baseball coach, with our school teachers, and in the process begin building bridges with them and, and the Lord Jesus Christ to introduce them to him. Do you know why that's so important? You know what kind of encounters the Holy Spirit most often uses to produce fruit that lasts? He uses a witness from a heart that's motivated by love, and friendship. A survey from the Institute of American Church Growth showed that 83% of new believers come to Christ through a friend or an acquaintance who explains the gospel to them on a one-to-one basis. Let me close by getting you to think seriously about a couple of things. First of all, there are only two kinds of Christians in this world. Those who talk about the lost and those who talk to the lost. If you want to see rejoicing in heaven, then we're going to have to start using all that God has given us to talk to the lost. That doesn't mean that all we do is that we all do it exactly the same way. But every one of us has relationships even now with people who don't know the Lord. And you can begin by doing just some basic practical things, listing your neighbor by name on a piece of paper or on a card and praying for them specifically. You could look for opportunities just to have casual conversations with your neighbor to get to know them better. Just talk about the weather. Just talk about the neighborhood. Just talk about anything, how things are going in the world, that God would begin to build that relationship and open up opportunities for gospel. Conversations. Understand, you can't have the gospel conversations if you're not even having the relational conversations. So take the opportunities uh, to invite your neighbor to come with you to church. Look for opportunities to have those gospel conversations where you could share with your neighbor your own personal testimony of how Christ has changed your life. And look for opportunities to minister to your neighbor, maybe when they're going through grief or, or heartache that comes into their life. You may not think this is a big thing, but let me tell you why it is. You know what makes heaven happy and rejoice? When one sheep, when one piece of silver, when one son is found. When just one sheep is rescued, when one silver piece of coin is restored, when just one son returns, it makes heaven rejoice. And you can be a part of that. With God's help, I pray we'll all be a part of that. So that not only heaven will be rejoicing, but we as his church will be rejoicing. You want to see an excited church that's rejoicing, that's excited every Sunday, every time we come to worship? Start telling people about Jesus. The more you tell people about Jesus, the more opportunities there are for somebody to become saved. And the more people become saved, even just one. It begins to become contagious and infecting the whole church with a celebration because one who was lost has been found. One who was dead is now alive. Celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do look for those opportunities even now. and Lord, we do pray that You would use us in whatever way that you will. Lord, we know that this season of the year is one of the greatest opportunities, uh, one of the greatest times of the year for us to just begin having conversations with people that we've maybe never had those conversations with before. Just talking to them, maybe even talking to them about common things that we have together. Maybe it's about their kids and 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 our kids and how things are going, and 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 just beginning to have those conversations about it, those things. Or maybe it's about the weather, or maybe it's about sports, or maybe it's about some other thing. And Lord, we're always to be looking through those conversations for an opportunity to begin to talk about something more serious. To even search and to seek, is there? a heartache or a trouble this person's going through. Maybe even to just say to our friend or our neighbor, can I pray for you? Lord, I pray that through just asking our neighbor or just asking a person, can I pray for you? Lord, that you would begin to open up gospel conversations for us, to invite them to come to Christ, to invite them to come to church, to hear more about Christ. And, Lord, I pray that as we do that, as we begin to share the gospel even more, Lord, that we would go out to seek those who are lost. And, Lord, that when we find them, may we bring them to Jesus. And may we rejoice as heaven rejoices when one lost sinner comes to faith in Christ. Lord, bless us in the days ahead. We expectantly look forward to the great and mighty things you're going to do in the remaining weeks of this year. Lord, we pray that you'll use it in great and mighty ways to help us to reach those who are lost and to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 330, Amazing Grace, will you come tonight if the Lord lays on your heart? If you're there at home, would you just comment in the comments and let us know any decision you make. Brother Mike, if you'll come and sure we sang that last verse there. It'd be like, why didn't we sing that last verse, preacher? <laughs> so we sang that last verse. What a blessing that song is and what a Encouragement. I hope it's been to you in hearing God's word tonight. Thank you for being with us there online. We'll be back in person uh, this Wednesday night. Awana will be back. So if you've got kids, bring them out for Awana. We'll be, we will be doing our weekly Wednesday night meal this Wednesday. So if you plan to come to eat for that, uh, please call the church office, get your name on the list. Uh, if you're one of our shut-ins who need uh, those meals, please let us know that also. And we'll be glad to get that to you as some of our deacons deliver those things too. So glad to have you with us tonight. You have a blessed week. We'll see you Wednesday night, uh, six o'clock here for worship, and we'll see you then. You take care and have a safe week.